Well, yes, as I said, we are back in, in the book of Nehemiah, and a little bit earlier as we walked through those first two chapters, it was to give us context of where we are, because as I was looking back, uh, we, we started looking at Nehemiah, we're now in the end of chapter two, we started looking at this about two months ago, as we were introduced to Nehemiah and kind of got our, our, our foundation laid there. And it's been a good three weeks, close to a month, since we've been back in it and, and looked at, at the beginning of chapter 2. And so I thought it would be a good thing for us to hear all of that together so that we can get some context. Because in that stretch of time, we can tend to forget. We can tend to um, not pay attention to what's going on, to, to let daily life get a hold of us, and we... We don't remember. It's trouble of, of all mankind that we forget so much. And so I wanted to read through those first two chapters just to remind us. But even as, as I did that, even as I was thinking about how it had been two months since we started looking at this and how much we can forget in that time, it also reminded me that as Nehemiah first heard of, of the, the downfall of Jerusalem, and, and it had been in a state of, of destruction and downfall for quite some time, but again, hearing that the walls are still crumbled, the gates are all burned, the people are living in, in a wreck, a shameful mess. If you remember, we talked, he, he, it wrecked him. He... It's like he couldn't move on from that place for a moment. It just stopped him cold in his tracks. And it wrecked him. And, and he, he felt this, this holy discontent. That, that what was happening there in Jerusalem was not the way things are supposed to be. It's not the way God intended them to be. And, and it troubled him so much. And we asked the question, and I continue to ask the question, what is it that breaks your heart? What is it that when you hear about it, when you see it, when, when the, the thought comes to your mind that this injustice is happening, it just stops you in your tracks and it breaks your heart? What is it that when you look at something and you say, ah, this could be so much better, it just keeps eating at you and keeps stirring at you? What is it that breaks your heart? We saw that, that as Nehemiah heard this report from his brother and, and his companions, that this thing broke his heart, and he dove into, he said, fasting and praying and mourning. He went before God in mourning. Looking at the wonder of who God is, the splendor of who God is, the power that he holds, and seeing how small Nehemiah was, seeing how small all of Israel is in comparison, seeing how broken he was and all of his people, seeing how messed up things were, and confessing that to God, and, and praying God's word back to him and saying, remember you said this, we want to see you act. And then he went in and laid his request before God, grant me favor before this man. 
as he was cupbearer to the king. It's been two months since we started, and, and I wanted to give us that reminder because we can forget. But remember when Nehemiah started, when he heard that report and it broke his heart and he went to God in prayer and then before we got to chapter 2 where he actually starts to do something about it there's there's this waiting that happened and that waiting for him was four months four months Nehemiah was was racked with this four months that is plenty of time we know from experience plenty of time to forget and move on Four months is plenty of time for him to have heard that from his, from his brother and his traveling companions that Jerusalem is a mess. The walls are broken. The gates are all burned. The people are living in shame. And, and to be genuinely heartbroken about it, but in four months' time, he can forget about it and move on. We do that a lot, don't we? But for Nehemiah, that's not what happened. Those four months, he was continuing to seek after God, continuing to go before God, continuing to bring his brothers and sisters around him and pray together on this. He was waiting, he was praying, but he was also preparing so that when he comes before the king, when the king says, why are you sad? You're not sick, this can only be sadness of heart, remember? He says, well, king, this is what's happening in my home, where my father's graves are. This is what's going on. And the king says those words that I don't know if Nehemiah ever thought he'd hear. What are you requesting? He goes before the king. The king says, what's going on? This is what's happening. And, and the king says, okay, what do you want to do? And in this four months, as Nehemiah was waiting, as, as he, a man of action, probably wanted to spring right in, but God made him wait and pray and continue, he was also preparing. So that when the king says, okay, what do you want to do? Nehemiah was ready with an answer. He told the king, this is what I'd like to do. I want to go back to Jerusalem. I want to build up the walls again. king, rather than saying, um, sorry, you work for me and you don't have any time off coming, says, how long is it going to take? It'll take about this long. Go. Do it. Fantastic. Hey, while we're at it, can I get some papers for travel, for safety to travel? Can, can I get some lumber from the king's forest? Can can we get all this? And the king says, absolutely, go. All of this, four months is, is a long time to wait. Four months is a long time to have this, this idea, this, this thing burning inside him. And it just wouldn't go away. And he's waiting, and he's praying, and he's thinking about it, and he's probably drawing up all kinds of plans back in his room so that he's ready. When the king says, all right, you can go, that he's ready to go. Since we just read this, I think we'll skip through this part and we'll 
look at each one as we come to it there. Nehemiah is now at a place where he is preparing for action. Rob, you can move on to the next slide after these. He's, he's been preparing and praying, and now he's prepared for action. The king has given him the go-ahead. Four months of waiting, four months of building up to this, four months of praying for this. The king has given him the green light. He has supplied the wood. It says in, in verse 9 there, Nehemiah writes, I came to the governors of the province beyond the river. That means Nehemiah has already taken this trip now. He's come out of Susa, traveled hundreds of miles, is now across the great river and coming down from the north into the promised land. And he comes to the governors of the provinces beyond the river, those, those guys who were ruling the area just north of, of Jerusalem and of Judah. And as he comes through, verse 9 says he gives them the king's letters. Now the king had sent with me officers of the army and horsemen. I mean, when Nehemiah was decked out to travel, this guy was ready to go, right? He got letters from the king saying, he's on a mission that I've okayed. He gets to go through this land. He's got officers of the army. He's got horsemen with him. He has got this, this whole entourage happening here as he comes through this land. Not to mention all the lumber that's being hauled through. And yet... Verse 10 says, when Sambalit the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite servant, they heard this. When those guys who were ruling up there, they read the letters. Here comes my servant. He's on a mission. I've okayed it. It displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. We see Nehemiah coming into, coming into his home coming into Judah, working his way down to Jerusalem, the capital city. And, and I say he's coming to his home, and yet it is entirely possible that in his life he has never stepped foot on that land. That in his life he has never seen these sites. He has never been there. He has heard of people as they've traveled through. It's entirely possible this is the first time he's been there. Sometimes as God puts, puts a vision in your heart, puts something in your mind that says this is, this is what needs to happen. Nehemiah's vision was he, he was hearing of Jerusalem and what was happening there and he was going there. And it was home even though maybe he had never been there before. Guys, if you are part of the family of God, if Jesus is your Savior, we have a home that we haven't seen yet. We have a home that we've seen just glimpses of. 
that this vision that God has in your heart for, for things to run the way he has designed them to be, for injustice to be done away with, for, for people to be built up and living in fullness in Jesus is a vision that inspires the glory and wonder of heaven itself. And one day we, we will get to see heaven. And even then we wait. We wait, as it says in Revelation, for God to make all things new, to make heaven and earth new, and that we live on the new earth with God as our God living with us. We see a glimpse of it now. We see it through this brokenness of sin. But one day we'll live on the new earth where God has recreated it the way it's supposed to be. And we live in perfect harmony with him. And this vision that we feel, this, this call for home is one we haven't yet experienced fully. But one day through Jesus we will. That was a whole side note that's not even up there. Here comes Nehemiah coming into Judah. And as he comes with this vision burning in his heart, he is careful to walk through these steps to check out the situation, to share it cautiously, to eventually invite people into action, and yes, to expect opposition. If we look at verse 11, we see that he starts by checking it out. He starts making this this survey trip around the wall to see just exactly what they're up to because he has spent those four months in praying and in preparation and in planning so that when the king asked him he had an answer to give right but he hadn't seen the walls yet he hadn't actually walked through and seen what was going on and he made sure to do that it says in verse 11 i went to jerusalem and was there three days three days before he even does anything has been waiting four months already, right? But this man of action doesn't come bursting in Jerusalem and say, hey, everybody, guess what? We're going to build up the walls. Let's go. Let's do this right now. And all the people say, excuse me, who are you coming with the king's officers? And where are you from? Now he goes in. He spends three days waiting, resting, being with the people, before he goes out and surveys it. We see in verse 12, I rose in the night, I and a few men with me, and I told no one what God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. There was no animal with me but the one on which I rode. He didn't come with a whole bunch of people clomping around making a whole lot of noise. He went by night, he went quietly, he took just a few people with him. I went out by night via the valley gates, which they think might be around there. Those are, those are some general ideas. Went out by the valley gate to the dragon spring to the dung gate. On around to the south there. I inspected the walls of Jerusalem that were broken down. Its gates that had been destroyed by fire. He sees with his own eyes what has actually happened here. Then I went on to the fountain gate to the king's pool. There there was no room for the animal that was under me to pass. He came on down here to where he had some cliffs and things going on. 
So he gets off his animal and he went up in the night and inspected the wall to where he eventually turned back and entered by the valley gate and to return. So he made his way around. He started looking at some things, made his way on back and went in. He took time to check it out, to see what was going on, to survey. He didn't just come busting into Jerusalem and start shouting, we're going to go do this thing. He made sure to check things out first. And as he did so, he was cautious. He was careful about whom he told. It said right there in verse 12, I rose by night, I and a few men with me. I told no one what God put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. When he went to check it out, he went quietly, he went secretly, he went to see what was going on before talking to anybody. We see further down, after he had gone back in and returned from this, his scouting trip, verse 16, says the officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing. And I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, and the rest who were to do the work. He was careful about what he was doing. Secretive even, maybe. But not like he was trying to hide something from these people. But he didn't just boldly, foolishly run in and spout all this before people were ready. He checked it out first. He made sure he knew what he was talking about. And then still he waited. This is one of those things that some of us have problems with. There are some of us who, are, who tend to be like idea people. These, these great ideas we want, but not so much on the detail people. And so we get these ideas and we're like, hey, we should go do this. And nobody's heard anything about it. We haven't talked about it, hadn't seen anything about it. And when they say, we, we, we got to do this thing. Then sometimes the people who are detail people say, but how are you going to do that? What do you need to prepare? How much is it going to cost? Where do we do this? And those big ideas can get shot down real quickly. Nehemiah understood that. And so he walked in, checked things out first, was cautious and careful about who he told, not wanting to to overwhelm people, not wanting to jump in half-cocked and not knowing what was going to happen. Remember, God had taken Nehemiah through four months of waiting. This man of action was probably not used to waiting. But God prepared him, made him wait, made him wait on God's timing so that when he gets to Jerusalem, he even waits another three days, and then he goes out on a scouting trip. So that by the time he invites people to action, he knows what's what's going to be expected. He knows what's going on. Now, finally, verses 17 and 18, Nehemiah shares some of his vision with the people. Then I said to them, he says, you see the trouble we're in. How Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them of the hand of my God 
that had been upon me for good, and also the words that the king had spoken to me. He calls the people to action. After spending so much time praying about this, after spending time just kind of scouting things out and seeing what's going on, spending time where, where he's probably bursting at the seams, he wants to tell everybody, but it's not time yet, the people aren't ready yet. Now he's finally ready to invite them to action. He's not even inviting them to an idea, to, to some concept. He's inviting them to action. And as he does it, he first points out the problem. He says, look around you. You see the state we're in. Sure, they'd seen it. They'd seen it a lot longer than he had. Right? These people in Jerusalem, they've been living with it. Sometimes that works against us. Sometimes maybe they've been living with it for so long that they're just used to it. They're just used to the walls being broken down and, and everything just kind of being in shambles. And, and, you know, maybe it's not the greatest, but eh, it's what we got. Nehemiah calls them to action. He says, look around you, see the state that we're in. And he gives them the why as well. It's not just what are we going to do. What are we going to do? We're going to build up the walls. Why? He says, so that we may no longer live in derision. Why? Because this is Jerusalem. This is the city of God. We are the people of God. We are the ones who have been consecrated and set, us, set apart to show the world what God is like, to show the world who God is. And right now, he says, with the walls burned down and everything in shambles, we're not showing who God is. Nehemiah doesn't come in with this idea that we're going to build up the walls so that this place can look nice and everybody, we can throw a plaque on and say, this wall was built by Nehemiah. And everybody can say, look at what a great wall builder Nehemiah is. His motivation, his heart for this thing wasn't set in him being great. It was set in the fact that God is great and it's our privilege and duty to show that. And so he gives them, he points to the problem, he gives them the solution, he shows them why we're going to do it, and he also gives them encouragement along the way as he tells them how God's hand has been working in his life and how God's hand has been working in the king's life and how God has set things up, how God is already in this and already doing something with this, and it's, we get to come alongside him Nehemiah calls them to action. The final thing we see is Nehemiah comes in preparing for action is to expect opposition. Because when Nehemiah presents this vision, when he lays his heart out, when he finally gets to tell the people this vision that God has put in his heart, they say, let's rise and build these walls. And verse 19 says that when Sambalat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant and Geshem the Arab heard of it, they jeered at us and despised us and said, what is this thing you're doing? Are you rebelling against the king? We already heard back when Nehemiah was just getting to town, right, that they were displeased that somebody was coming 
displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. They hated the fact that somebody came that cared about these people. Because it meant that some of their power was going away. Guys, when God puts a vision in your heart, when he puts a vision in your heart, it is going to be something that reflects a home that we have not yet seen. It's going to be something that reveals the glory of God. It's going to be something that calls people to live in fullness in Jesus Christ and to have true life in him because only in Jesus can we have true life. And when God puts a vision in your heart like that, you can bet that people are going to come against you. That people are not going to like it. That this world does not want to lose power, does not want to lose grip on these people who can experience freedom in Jesus. And so Nehemiah experiences this opposition. In the next couple of weeks, we're going to see about the action that takes place and the opposition, and we'll delve into the more deeply. But I want you to know today that with that kind of vision in your heart, one that is looking to see God glorified and to see people living in freedom and peace in Jesus, you're going to experience opposition. But remember, as Nehemiah relayed his vision to the people, how he told them of the hand of God that was already working for them, of what God had done with the king, we see that the God we serve, the one who planted that vision in you, is greater than any opposition you're going to face. So we push on, not so that we can be tenacious, not so that we can see a vision come to, come to fruit, but so that God can be glorified as his people follow in his footsteps the path that he's laid before them. God, I thank you. I pray, Lord, even now that you would continue to work in our hearts and our lives, continue to point to those places, those places of holy discontent. God, we ask the question again and again, what is it that breaks our heart as yours breaks? And for some, Lord, as we ask it again and again, maybe the, the same thing is coming up. And you are preparing to do a great work there. But for others, Lord, it's very likely that as we ask again and again, what breaks our hearts? Nothing comes to mind. And so, God, I ask that you would be at work in us. Draw us close to you. May we know the wonder of who you are. To see your faithfulness and your power. And to receive your call as, as you are, are calling us onto a path that may seem scary. God, we want to see 
our community reached for you. We want to see our families thriving and glorifying you. We want to see people know you and make you known in this world. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Ushers, will you come forward, please?